So I woke up on a stone slab and uh, it was one of those things where I was a little disoriented because I'd gone to bed the night before with COVID and then I Mm. had like a really long sleep, but I woke up uh, on, on a stone slab and I was wrapped pretty tightly in like this sort of like like old timey like fabric of some kind that I didn't 100% recognize but like you know I had to like kind of weasel my way out of it you know like 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 literally tear myself out of this thing Um, but I wasn't wearing any clothes I was butt ass naked and nice uh, and I and I turned around and I put my feet on the ground and I realized that I was in what can only be described as a tomb uh, there were a lot of like. Are, are you sure that it couldn't be described as something else? No, no, no. It it had like okay. it had little like. Um, Sometimes you know hey, there's synonyms. I've played describe, dark. I've played I, Dark Souls. Okay, I know okay, what a tomb okay. looks like. Why don't you describe okay. it for me, and then I'll see if I can describe it as something other than a tomb. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There was. Uh, uh, there were like holes in the wall where uh, where like coffins that like were were put uh there mm-hmm. were bones uh scattered across the floor um, i've already got another word i've, me too. I've already got one yeah i yeah. would describe it as a catacombs oh i've got a, i've got a third word mausoleum Ooh, well there you go uh but it can only be described as a tomb and <laughs> oh, I, uh, <laughs> and uh and i was like oh shit i gotta get the fuck out of here so i grabbed you know the thing i was i was wrapped in and i go to the the door and there's this giant stone that's like been uh put in front of it mm. and i bang on the door i bang on the door i'm like hey hey i'm alive in here and on the other side i hear uh hey i'm living here yeah, i'm living here i hear these two uh i hear these two voices on the other side and they go sanctus sanctus yeah. domine or whatever i don't know i don't fucking speak latin and they start to like roll you know roll away the stone and we were like one together one two three we move we roll away the stone mm-hmm. and uh i get out the other side and uh there are these two uh, centurions uh-huh. uh yeah, yeah. you know with the full with the full hats looking at me and that's, that's yeah. why they were that's why they were speaking liturgical latin yeah, they're centurion yeah. hats i yeah, love the little, centurion hats with little brushes on top yeah. so they can right. take it off and D-A-C-A, also use it as like cleaning D-A-C-A, the floors D-A-C-A, yeah yeah ubi caritas et amor yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and we kind of looked at each other for a moment and uh they communicated uh to each other and they look at me and they said we thought you were dead uh because they're roman oh. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. so they speak some English, but with a, with a, with a d- distinct Latin accent. Well, it's weird because we were all, we were all speaking Aramaic. Uh, oh, okay. But uh, and I was like, oh, and they raised their spears to me, like, oh, we thought you were dead. We have to kill you now. Uh, and I was like, oh, how's this gonna end? And then the stone just kind of fell mm. over and squished mm. them with nice. like a cartoon oh. like sploosh mm-hmm. sound, and they just exploded. And I uh, ran away and made my way okay. back to here to recording the podcast. So that's 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 what my week's been like. Um, and I kept the cloth that I was wrapped in. Uh, yeah. And I, I had this moment where I was like, "Well, this looks ancient. This looks like it might be worth something. I think I might, I think I might sell this. Okay. Mm. I think I might, might sell this to the highest bidder. But then I was like, I don't know. You know, this clearly belonged to the two Romans who were dead, and it feels like I'd be like perpetuating like extra violence against them by yeah, but, by selling but it. Th- you know, th- they they deserve it because they they started colonizing Brooklyn a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And so it's that's, violence against an oppressor. That is true. It is violence against the oppressor. But I still I still kind of felt bad about it. Um, but then I sold it anyway because of all the stuff they did to me. I just thought that, you know, the shroud of Turin about is fair play. What? AJ's back, baby! So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. 
Welcome to the Worst of All Possible Worlds, the first and only podcast willing to wear George Washington's wig and be unashamed of it. I'm the Worst of All Possible Joshes. I'm the Worst of All Possible AJs. And I'm the Worst of All Possible Brian's. And joining us here today, we have a friend of mine, somebody who you you may have heard of him from his podcast, Michael and Us. You may have heard of him from his various great articles in Jacobin. Uh, and he's also working on an upcoming book. We're very excited to have him here today. It is Luke Savage. Thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, Luke, when we were talking about doing something for the show, you had mentioned this particular movie, Man of the Year. Well, I remember uh, in 2006 when I guess I would have been, I don't know, 16, something like that. I remember there being a lot of hype about it. I did not see it at the time. You know, uh, fast forward 10 or 12 years later, uh, you know, I've got a podcast where we specialize in kind of watching films uh, from this uh, from this era, kind of films that uh, maybe liberal, maybe conservative, but either way, have some pretense to great, you know, profundity or insight into mm. politics, but actually are fundamentally banal and don't really have yeah. anything to say. <laughs> and the thing, the thing about this movie is that I, I mean, there's only this, this film to me belongs in a pantheon of movies that I've discovered through my podcast. I mean, mm. a, a small aristocracy of of elite <laughs> uh, of elite films that that embody. This particular type of pretentious incoherence, I think, yeah. better than anything else. Um, and so uh, I love the movie. I mean, not actually. I think it's, it's like <laughs> absolute garbage. Um, but I mean, I did find myself laughing out loud a lot watching it um, yeah. because it it, it it thinks so much of itself. And yeah, there's just nothing there. Uh, Luke, here's my question for you. Why make one movie when you could make every movie at once? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good it's a it's a good question. And and actually, uh, the broadness of the movie is uh, something I hope we'll get into, because I think that is one of the many things it does to undercut its own premises. Totally. Yeah, my, my first idea, like, I don't remember seeing the trailers for this. AJ, of course, you do. But like, mm-hmm. um, I, I always got this one mixed up with Head of State, the Chris Rock movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then like, I've always kind of before seeing the movie, I was thinking it was like not just like head of state but also like swing vote and uh the fucking the john stewart one what is it called it's got like a faith based yes ir- irresistible <laughs> which it, feels like it the, should have come out in 2006 the, like that. well and it has the title of like a christian movie um yeah, it sure does <laughs> and and so i was expecting something that was like well sometimes things are too left sometimes things are mm. too right what we really need is to appeal to the man in the middle. Who is this? And, uh, who, who are we speaking to? Is this is this politics this bumpkin is, guy? This yeah. this is me, circa two thousand six. Oh wow, uh, nice. you've really grown and changed, Brian. But it's it's also it's not not that right. I mean, and and, and we'll get to this yeah. in a little bit. But it's it's hard to even assign sort of a political agenda or perspective to this film because it's just so. Lacking. I think before we jump into going to talking about the thing beat by beat, uh, we should first talk specifically about Barry Levinson, who is the writer yes. and director of this film. The auteur uh, man of the year. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the auteur of the year. The Federico Fellini of man yes. of the year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Barry Levinson got his start as um, a variety show guy. He wrote for variety shows in the 70s. But at some point, Barry Levinson kind of became the serious filmmaker dude. Right. And uh, the movie that really put him on the map is also the movie that cemented that Robin Williams could be a dramatic movie star, too, which is. Good morning, Vietnam. 
Of course, everyone's movie that they've heard of. Um, <laughs> and Luke, is that <laughs> one that like you've that seen? Movie. No, but I have heard the catchphrase many times. It's I, I think it actually holds. I mean, Robin Williams' performance in it is just absolutely yeah. stellar. It actually has sort of an Adam McKay kind of arc to his career, right? He starts out as like mm-hmm. a big time comedy guy and then decides he really wants to start talking about politics and specifically how Hollywood sort of interacts with politics. Sure. And, uh, I also think with the success that Adam McKay has with talking about politics, which is uh, not very much. Uh, <laughs> he, Occasionally. Yeah. Well, and, and Barry Levinson's best political movies, too, are the ones that he doesn't write. Yes. Right. So he Wag the didn't Dog. Write, he, yeah, he didn't write Wag the Dog. He didn't write Good Morning Vietnam. And I don't think Good Morning Vietnam is necessarily all that political of a movie in no. the same sense. But when it comes to movies that Barry Levinson is like, I'm going to write this and direct this, we of course got his magnum opus, Toys. Oh, uh, I, love, I love that movie as a kid. I don't think I really like understood anything about it except that... Uh, like, I don't know, there were toys and they were fighting stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool. It's a fascinating movie. It's part, and of, it's a, about... it's part of a wave of like of like toy movies in, in the 90s. Because yeah. there's also Small Soldiers. Which oh, was I remember Small soldiers. small soldiers. Joe Dante's Small Soldiers, which I think people have kind of like grown to appreciate more now. But like toys is like this achingly earnest drama about <laughs> yeah. a Willy Wonka type toy heir. <laughs> Whose, whose devices end up being used as weapons of war, and it's fucking incoherent, and it's something everybody should see once because it is so bizarre. Well, and this movie is really, in a lot of ways, just as bizarre, but with a, a more plain sheen to it. Yeah, there's a lot of the genre mixing, too, in toys that's very much yeah. present in Man of the Year, because it is also, despite being like this sort of very earnest Willy Wonka story, is also a rom- romantic comedy at mm-hmm. points, and then turns into a thriller, which, you know, as Man of the Year shows with its singular jump scare, is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> also very interested in exploring. So why don't we go ahead then and jump right into yeah. it? The trailers for Man of the Year made oh, it look yeah. out to be a very different film, because I saw this in theater when I was 16 years old and I realized midway through fell asleep and missed the middle 40 minute like a middle 40 minute chunk of the film so it was fun like finally being able to like rediscover it because and the movie was so com- complex that it, it, you right, couldn't right, right. 20 minutes no 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 I, I actually I woke up and it was like it was like Lewis Black had, was like in the middle of one punchline and then I woke up and he finished the punchline 40 minutes later <laughs> so I felt like I missed nothing but the trailers AJ I'm, yeah. I'm so happy that we were able to to uh, restore your childhood through yeah, this. Yeah. No, this, true. Uh, this is true. There's I'm been this very giant sorry that hole we still in my can't, life. That we still can't restore your foreskin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the trailers of this thing made it out to be just a wacky, like Robin Williams right. comedy of errors, basically. What if a John mm. Stewart figure became president of the United States and what like hilarity would ensue? But what this movie actually is, is a political thriller where occasionally Robin Williams just pops in to do like a riff <laughs> for yeah. like 10 minutes and then vanishes completely from the movie again. And then also on the other hand of that, you have um, fucking uh, Lewis Black working on his type five. It's very strange. Yeah. And lending some legitimacy to like the TV comedy trope. Yeah. Since Lewis right, Black yeah. was a big writer on The Daily Show. Man of the Year starts with Christopher Walken, everybody's favorite, <laughs> sitting in a chair doing his Christopher Walken thing. He's giving an interview to like, I don't know, a documentarian or something yeah, this like is, that? This is, this never, is obvious, never explained. <laughs> never explained. Obvious reshoot territory. They couldn't quite get an, right. enough like coherence in the, <laughs> the Delacroix voting system prologue that they made up. So they had to get 
get like Christopher Walken, stick him in a wheelchair and be like, ooh, what's going to happen here? But what we learn is that uh, he was involved with this guy, Tom Dobbs, who changed the world. We love Tom's Dobbs. And Tom Dobbs is Robin Williams. And we we cut to him. Uh, and he's doing like a one of those pre-show warm-ups on his talk show. And he's on a set that could be described as minimalist Nickelodeon. I was really worried that this was going to turn into a network situation. Mm-hmm. Like he was going to have a monologue or Studio 60. Or the uh, newsroom. And I was like, oh God. And then no, just like everything that we're, like every time it starts to look like it's going to impersonate a movie, Levinson deliberately, I think, uh, zigs rather than zags when he probably should have zagged in the first place. Yeah. Well, I mean, he stole the opening credit font from the West Wing and later uh, they just go out and full reference the West Wing midway through the movie. Oh, yeah. What what What, what is the reference? It's like the West Wing meets The Bachelor. Is that yeah, what the, the West Williams Wing meets The Bachelor? Says? I missed that. That's yeah, horrible. I missed that too. Oh, my Which God. Which maybe can be read as like a meta commentary on the fundamental incoherence of Man of the Year because like, <laughs> right, this right, film right. is just a mashup of like four or five different movies and different types of movie in different yeah. different I think TV as well obviously and this whole part here reminded me of Studio 60 specifically and I'm glad mm. you mentioned that Brian where it's somebody who isn't funny trying to write funny material and this movie has this problem throughout it's supposed to be a comedy I don't think I actually laughed once did no. any of you? Oh yeah, I, la- I, I laughed a couple of times. So that's because Robin Williams knows how to land a punchline. Like well, I don't think true. the joke was funny, but like but it, his- yeah, that's what's that's the thing about like all of his jokes in this. And of course, he's a political commentator. Like John, St- they they make John Stewart also exist in this universe. And Bill yeah. Maher, they always yeah. and you can't <laughs> say Matthews, James Carville. Yeah, the gang's all here. All yeah. your favorites. All all my faves. This but cast love- is stacked, and also all of those people are mentioned. And, but you know, he really has so much to say about politics, like. <laughs> and also, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, man, the senators, they're so old. Oh, man, those dang lobbyists. Yeah. Oh, man. We need what to make education in our systems. And also, the, like, also the immigrants are streaming across the border. And we yeah. Have to do something about the, the one time Wild. this ever gets specific with politics, and it's like the first time you start to really see him, because it's like the first time he starts making jokes on the, on the campaign, he goes... Yeah, it's just so easy for illegal immigrants to get in here, but it's too hard for legal immigrants to get here. Yeah, the only, (laughs) probably, arguably, the only concrete political position he takes in the entire movie (laughs) is him being to the right of the Democratic and Republican parties on issues of immigration (laughs) and national security. (laughs) But he sure does hate security theater, and that's the thing that matters. He's a plain spoken man, he's a man of the people, and he's the man of the year. He is the man of the year. And to that point, to, to prove just how much of a man of the year he is a woman in the audience even says hey you should run for president and um before long he announces that he's gonna be running for president wow they had to add in a christopher walken scene explaining that time had passed between her saying that and him (laughs) announcing his candidacy and the and the background to that is also important because this whole movie is kind of underwritten by this you know anxiety about technology and I and I guess the internet and so the backstory yeah. that the film kind of hastily shoehorns in pretty unconvincing <laughs> backstory is that uh, you know this initial clip of him you know this is very much like the newsroom it's like 
you know, somebody just like a, mm. a guy goes on TV once and says something and it goes viral. And then, right. you know, because the, the, the engine of history is people going on TV and being epic, like yeah. that, that like wills <laughs> the thing into being. And yeah. then so pretty soon by the end of the week, it's like, oh, his clip of my running for president had 10 million hits. No one had ever seen like anything like this yeah, before. Yeah, and then he runs it. for president. Christopher Walken says the Internet was on fire. Over 8 million emails. 8 million emails. <laughs> so many emails. Which even by 2006 is sounding yeah, a little crazy. Uh, Netscape Navigator was, it crashed. It was a blaze. <laughs> it was really weird when Robin Williams looked dead into the camera and said, I like to announce I'm starting the Connor Project. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to your point about Dear Evan Hansen, AJ, I felt like this was a similar treatment to the idea of social media clout and social media influence and like being discovered on the web to what stuff like Dear Evan Hansen believes it to be. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is true, obviously, that something sometimes happens that causes discourse to blow up real big on the web. We're all on Twitter. We know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But there are also structural forces that undergird these things, which oftentimes try not to be seen. Right. Like it is so rare that you have a true grassroots movement unless you have funding and infrastructure behind and underneath that movement to make it happen. And Luke, I'm sure that you can speak to that. Yeah, that's true. And and also, I mean, this idea that viral moments are, you know, that's that's what propels everything. I mean, some politicians in particular have really convinced themselves and you know i guess it's probably a bipartisan phenomenon but like the kamala harris campaign i mean i'm not exaggerating i mean their strategy was we're not going to really do the early states beto o'rourke as well come back to him mm-hmm. in a right, second right right but right the strategy mm-hmm. the strategy of kamala harris's campaign was that they were going to avoid conventional campaigning and they were going to instead go for these viral debate moments so that's how you found her like saying you know that doing like a a, a sort of reverse engineered mic drop moment where she was like, we're going to take away Donald Trump's Twitter account or something like right. that. Right. And like sure. that was supposed to, or or also, you know, her, her quip at Biden about like the busing issue where she's like, that girl was me. And then her campaign, by the end of the debate, somehow had that girl was me shirts like ready to go or whatever. Yeah. Right. And then like the next day, the campaign also put out a statement saying that she basically supports the exact same <laughs> right, uh, right, policy right. as so Joe Biden strange. regarding education and busing. <laughs> right, Just insane. Right. And, and the O'Rourke campaign, it was the same thing, right? It was like he'd had a bunch of sort of viral off the cuff moments in his unsuccessful run for Senate. And so they thought, well, what if we just, you know, what if we made the whole country out of the viral moment? And like, and then so all of a sudden, like he wasn't campaigning. He was driving around like in a van or something. He was was standing up on tables. He was, yeah, he was dabbing. He was going to skateboard. He he was getting an Annie Leibovitz like photo spread for Vanity Fair. He he was streaming. He was streaming his gums when he had a dental surgery. Like, and like it really. Because AOC's streams were so popular he was like yeah i'll be at a dentist appointment and then like his late his late campaign thing was like i'm gonna start swearing now yeah like i'm gonna like make a conscious decision to to have all of my like big uh screen grabbed quotes be full of swears right and and what all this stuff misunderstands just to to return to josh's original point is that like it's true that viral moments do happen right but usually like genuine organic viral moments happen usually first of all you can't you can't reverse engineer that because there's too there's right. an alchemy to it that you can't predict. But but secondly, even when that does happen, it's usually like some some someone got hit in the nuts in a way that was funny and it has like 
200 million YouTube hits. It's never like history was changed by somebody like went on TV and said, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And so when things do kind of go, quote unquote, viral, oftentimes the actual explanation, I agree, is, well, there's infrastructure behind it. You know, there's like there's a there's there's a machinery that is making this happen. And I also think that when somebody gets that uh, viral nuts hit video, it's not as if they're then able to go forward and make an entire career as the guy who got hit in the nuts. They can sell a couple t-shirts for a little bit, but that's not sustainable. They can win the Springfield Short Film Festival. I don't know. I don't know. Like the, the, ah, fuck, I can't believe you've done this guy as a member of parliament now. Right, exactly. uh, Exactly. Um, Ah, fuck. So, uh, uh, well, and speaking of machinery, I do want to get this in. This movie's prologue also has this cut aside to Laura Linney discovering right. that this big voting machine company, this sort of Delacroix. Large, larger than Dominion, this Delacroix company has a major flaw in its vote counting system because it's also, I guess, a centralized like cloud based vote counting system, not just machines at individual locations. This is so fucking mid 2000s. It hurts. Yeah. The also fucking Congress voting machines. And it, which which it does not have the power to do. Congress makes this mandatory for every voting precinct in America, which again, like federal government doesn't really oversee that stuff that's handled on the state level. Right, right. And at, whatever. And to and to that point, this is when Christopher Walken is describing how Congress passed it and made all the voting machines yeah. into Delacroix voting machines. And it just points out the weirdness of the dialogue in this movie that's not improvised by Robin Williams or Lewis Black, because <laughs> I want to read the exact quote, because it yes, seems please. like it was written by an AI and it goes <laughs> Like this. It was, of course, a major coup for the Silicon Valley based company. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> it's like, how do we get the, how do we get across the fact that they're in the, their Silicon Valley based company, you know, in a subtle way? Like we want to like, you know, we, want, we really want to show don't tell on this. It's like, it's like there was some exposition from the screenplay that was left into the script by mistake. Yeah, it was a, yeah. Right, it was a screen direction that just was yeah. misformatted. Uh, also, Christopher Walken having the time of his life in this movie, like really elevated lines that would have no reason to oh, sound like poetry because so the man is he's great Dobbs is like actually announces his candidacy starts campaigning and he gets actually into the main debate uh, right. between the Democratic because he's running as an independent between the Democratic yep. and the Republican nominee uh, because and I quote he got 16 million emails <laughs> so it's what started is 8 million has that's, that's twice as many emails. Wow. Yeah. That is twice the number of emails before. My God. <laughs> he forces the establishment's hand and he is forced to, uh, onto the debate stage where he just, for I think an interminable amount of time, just riffs and oh, does yeah. bits. So for, for a long time, there's this conflict about, is he going to do jokes? Is he going to do jokes at his rallies or at the debate? And he won't do it because he's so concerned about the issues. Like, um, the politics aren't good enough. And the trash should be picked up more or something right. like that. Uh, you know, big, real, real shit that people really want to know. And then he he gets up on the stage and he starts talking about, like, what if the Pope was Brazilian? Nuns would be wearing thongs. <laughs> Pretty funny. That's, and, that's, and, that's, that's great and America goes crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they lose right, their minds. We had to get to this sooner or later. I feel like now is maybe the time to talk about Donald Trump, right? It has to be 
talked about at least very briefly. Yeah. The yeah. fact that Trump was the first guy to actually go and basically and, do I this. I mean, it's amazing because this movie could be shown as, as an example of predicting Donald Trump, but it, it doesn't come no, anywhere close to figuring out what that what, actually what, what would be. What the plot of this movie actually is, is it's like, what if Donald Trump happened, but then instead of Trump, it was like Andrew Yang leading his new like forward party or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, Robin yeah. Williams' <laughs> politics are in this movie. They're like, they're right. like yeah, the system is broken. The establishment is lying to you and that's why the answer is having a cabinet made up of people from both parties and right. independents and <laughs> yeah. and we 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 had some accountability some dang accountability in government for a change and it's like that's right it's just like like every like every sort of like radical centrist argument or whatever the radical centrist theory of politics that you find in a movie like this or in like andrew yang or ross yep. perot or any number of things like that is always like the system is broken and that's why all the answers to our problems are like in, in each of our hearts and we're here all along. All we had to do is knock our, you know, our, our red shoes together and we back in Kansas. It's like there's there's <laughs> never any like there's there's no I mean it's hate to sound pretentious but there's no like structural critique. They're like content right. to be one. There purports to be one and then it's always like uh but like the answer is just like bipartisanship or whatever. Well, and, yep. and, and to the point about how like in the, from earlier about how in order to make something happen, you need some sort of a backing behind you. One of the things that we have learned is that he refuses to do TV ads because he doesn't like- want to take contributions <laughs> from industries or whatever. And to go to the point of how like, yeah, going on the stage and being an insult comic obviously worked out very well for Donald Trump. But the reason that he was able to get to that point in the first place was that he was taking patronage from a lot of different industries. And guess what? He paid them back when he got into office. There's no reason that anybody would ever want to back this candidate from a structural perspective, whether it was an individual voter who's interested in a specific, you know, point of policy, or if you're an industry seeking to get laws, regulations, policies that are more beneficial to your own bottom line. It is also very funny that Dobbs and Trump actually agree about immigration. That's kind of haunting. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the other the other reason that Trump's stick worked and what, what doesn't make sense about this movie is Trump's whole thing worked because he was mean and he was cruel. Right. Like right. he wasn't just yeah. being like an insult comic in a sort of like goofy way like Robin Williams is. He was telling Ted Cruz like your wife is fucking ugly and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, right. And in the midst of that, he was throwing in the stuff about like, well, Jeb Bush is just like bought by real estate or whatever. Right. And yeah. people and people liked, you know, people liked the latter because, you know, it was true. And because Trump was, you know, saying things about like the Republican establishment that everybody knew, but had been kind of excluded from those, uh, you know, from from primaries because of uh, because of etiquette. But then he was also being mean, like and that's what people liked yep. about it. Robin Williams isn't really being mean in this movie. He's just being like a yeah. goofball. Well, the mo- yeah. yeah, the most he goes on is like when he attacks the president, he says, oh, well, you're paid off by like the oil industry. I don't remember if it's the president or the other guy running. It doesn't fucking matter. But it's he goes crazy yeah. on this. And and this is another one of his specific things. It's like, well, we just need more. We need more ethanol in our <laughs> in our gas. Then he transitions. <laughs> classic Robin Williams, like stream of consciousness into the thing about like, oh, and what about helium? And then when there's a car crash, everybody goes. Right. And he starts talking in like a helium voice. Classic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Classic, so classic you, you see, like you get the impression at this point that, OK, OK, so this is going to be a sort of um, a face in the crowd or a Bob Roberts type situation where like this guy goes out of control. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what he's doing. He just knows that he loves to be loved and is going to run with that however much 
possible. And no, it, do, no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Not do even that. a little bit. No. no. Um, I also, this entire <laughs> sequence is so baffling to me because it seems like they just put Christopher Walken and Louis Black in front of a screen and just had them yell random words yeah. about things that could potentially be happening on the screen. Like, it feels like the screenplay was not finished. There's like, I don't know, uh, uh, just say dynamite and oh, he's getting <laughs> mad. Like, it's like there's, like, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And it just seems like it's like he needed to break up Robin Williams is like 20 minute monologue Absolutely. that he just ripped It was on. the same shot over and over again. The colors were ugly. The angles were wrong. Yeah, this the, movie looks like shit. The tempo of the cuts was strange. To go back to your point, AJ, about like the interjections, I think part of the reason they feel so weird and out of place is that the timing is just a little bit wrong. Oh, what's he gonna do? He's gotta get madder. <laughs> He's gotta get so much madder. It, it, you know, it reminds me, I mean, since the West Wing came up already, um, I mean, yeah. I'm, I talk yeah. about that show too much but i mean i think it is like an <laughs> er like it, it is like a, a like it is the er reference point for like now two generations mm-hmm. of sort of people that write about politics people who you know follow politics or participate in it by watching the news or whatever and it's bernie influence sanders really is, his favorite tv show i mean yeah don't get me started on that one uh, that one's that's that's one of those like that's too painful to contemplate but like <laughs> i did like that bernie's wife was on twitter recently defending the irishman from uh the oh yeah, at yeah. Netflix. oh that's right uh, yeah so I love the Good idea of them watching that, less so them sitting down to watch, you know, uh, Jed Bartlett and the team um, <laughs> privatize Social Security or whatever. That's why um, they say never meet your heroes. We're full of multitudes. <laughs> yeah. but, uh. but like the West Wing, right? Like I feel it, I think it really did influence. Well, it, it, it influenced the way that like people portrayed politics on TV because it was such yeah. a and, and in films. And then it also made a, a whole generation, at least one generation of political operatives and, and politicians themselves. Like they were like, well, this is what politics politics is supposed to look like so now we're going to like just cosplay as as this and that and that was what the Obama presidency was mm-hmm. um but like the the debate scenes in this movie made me think about like uh the I think there's a few debate episodes of the West Wing where like basically you see Jed Bartlett and you know the Republican says stuff about like oh well uh well, I don't want our kids learning Eskimo poetry or something. And then Bartlett yeah. just like totally owns him with his own logic. And then right. it cuts to like Bradley Whitford and he's going like, game on. All right. And then you don't see the whole rest of the debate. And then it cuts to the very end and you just see the Republican go up to Jed Bartlett and be like, oh, it's over. Like you owned yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, and so I feel like this film is very much operating on that wavelength and that Barry Levinson might have even just like watched that scene from the West Wing. It's bizarro Sorkin though, because like with Sorkin, it is is that thing where the liberal owns the reactionary through facts and logic, yeah. whereas this is more like we are supposed to be excited by the spectacle. We are supposed to be excited yeah. that something big is happening in that he's speaking truth to power, question mark. But like. No. It's not as much that he is saying anything specific as it is that he is being really entertaining in a way that politicians normally aren't. And we're supposed right. to be excited that somebody who's just like a normal guy is out there, man, even though he doesn't really have very much to say. And that's odd to me. Right. He says that he wants a car that runs on helium because this was back when we were talking about hydrogen cell cars. Right. <laughs> wow. Famously non-combustible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And helium is a noble gas. Noble, it's on yeah. the far right of <laughs> the uh, table of elements. You can't burn it. Uh, the pundits after the debate, yeah. they, get, they they dragged the husk of Chris Matthews and threw him in front of a camera and he says this line which I don't understand and I really need someone <laughs> to explain it to me. How are voters going to react to Tom Dobbs? Either he's a hot dog 
or the genuine article. <laughs> what does you, that you, mean? You've never heard of that, <laughs> never heard of that dichotomy before? On the one side, you get the hot dog, and the other side, the genuine article. Yeah. Is that a Canadian expression? I don't what is this ultimate, to be? It's the ultimate Manichaean binary. I feel like that line was supposed to be for Carville, because that's absolutely the kind of thing that, that Carville he says. He would say that because he just it's says insane. It's supposed to be a hot dog, or it's supposed yeah. to be the real thing. Wow. <laughs> Jack tells Tom that it's Jack being Christopher Walken, tells Tom that it's good, actually, and that he thinks it's really going somewhere. And then, and then he has a heart attack. He has a heart attack. Womp, womp. Goes to the hospital. We're in the hospital, baby. The stakes have been raised. Too many things happen in this movie. Like it, it, it has too much on its mind, and also not, also nothing on its mind. But it's like yeah. it's constantly throwing you these curveballs where it's like, okay, comedian runs for president. Oh, is he gonna win? Oh, he's gonna win. Wait, curveball. Now, like this character, this Christopher Walken character, we've just been introduced to, like in the last fifteen or twenty minutes, he has a heart attack, and it's like, right. and then you know, and then you got all this stuff going on with Laura Linney, where it's like, oh. Uh, now she's like in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, and now she's yeah, like yeah. ODing on drugs, like like at her like weird Google office that she works at. Like it's fucking it's, wild. There's too much happening. So, so Laura Linney like raises her. Is this the day of the election? Time yeah, is so the, weird it's in the this night movie. Of the election. All the election is wrapped up in one night. Uh, yeah, and they're because watching the, the voting is so fast because it's on the cloud now. Right. Yeah, um, they're, they're watching the results come in, and somehow by Laura Linney watching the results come in in real time, she's just like, the glitch wasn't fixed. The glitch yeah, that I noticed she earlier sees, wasn't fixed, which is so impossible she, she to tell. She had tried to like blow the whistle on this. She had called her boss, and he's like, "No." She had sent um, him sixteen million emails. She she keeps talking to her friend. What is his name? Davy or something I like that. I don't fucking know. That and actor from Slings and Arrows. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then she's like, "Someone's in my house now," and we have a like three minute scene where someone's in her house. And it's then a lot we of Laura Linney opening doors and there yeah. not being anyone there. She opens the shower at one point in like a minute and a half scene where she just opens the shower door and closes it again. <laughs> but the whole thing is setting she, us up for yeah. this fucking jump scare. She gets jump scared and then she gets injected with every drug. Every drug. All drugs. Every in one single drug is in a syringe. <laughs> Including a it's memory a drug, eraser, I guess. It's a drug that both knocks her out for the rest of the night. She wakes up not knowing anything has happened and now she's on cocaine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the memory eraser device from Men in Black as well. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holds out the little thing. I actually, it's funny that they made her forget because actually, like, the drive for the movie would have been so much better had she remembered that she was attacked. Because then at least she could be yeah. like, she could have like concrete proof of the conspiracy other than saying, like, the machine was wrong just over and over again for 90 and, minutes. And, and I'm sorry, but I know we all love Laura Linney, but oh, this, this scene where she's at her office. And freaking out. And is it Ellie Kemper who shows up to say, hey, you look unwell? I don't know, but it's she's not, not she, Ellie Kemper. She's but. not. <laughs> but this, we this do is, love Laura Lenny. This, this is, is another, a terrible scene. This is another <laughs> it's example. It's poorly of, acted. Like. There's, just, there's just too much happening in this movie. Like, there, she has this whole sort of banter back and forth with the guy behind <sighs> the counter that, like, seems to set him up as, like, a character. And then, like, another guy wanders on, uh, you know, into <laughs> the shot. He calls her a bitch. Yeah, and it's like, who are these people? Why is this happening in this? movie if this movie would be would honestly be it still wouldn't be good but if you just cut the entire like voting machine Laura Lenny subplot out right first of all I think that the movie would be better secondly I think it would be at least 
as coherent, if not more coherent with all that. Like, just don't edit the film any more than just take out all the scenes with like Jeff Goldblum and the CEO and Laura Linney. Right. Like yeah. the Laura Linney stuff where it's like a romance. I guess you can like keep, oh my keep God. that in. But like she's just like a fan would, of his, oh. you know, yeah, the movie would make, don't, love. do don't, not keep the romance. Don't keep the romance. <laughs> That's the worst part of this movie. It's like, oh, we're in a romantic comedy now. Well, because what ends up happening is that Laura Linney, that character ends up bearing the load of almost the entire thing. I would argue that yeah, she is yeah. more crucial to the plot than Robin Williams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, she so she has this freak out, this, this huge breakdown uh, in because in of company. every drug, because of she, every she, drug. She goes through every kind of high possible it, at uh, the coffee right. shop at her company's Google like headquarter building. And it strikes me that this is one of those cases where a really good actor is given just like gar- a garbage script to play. And yeah. they're just like, OK, so what I'm going to do is the most I'm going to mm-hmm. do. Every, I'm going to throw every I'm going to put every fiber of my acting being into this script. And that will make it good uh, because the writing is just not there. But if you put too much acting on a bad script, it tumbles like a house of cards. So she shows up at this like party. It's I guess it's Dobbs's. It's Robin Williams's birthday party. She has an FBI badge. She has this FBI badge. And so I was like, oh, a lot of time has passed. He's now president. And like, no, no, no. no. It's like it's like two weeks later. She <laughs> she, she just pretends to be FBI. I it's think. bizarre. I she, think so- she's not actually FBI, even though they make a whole thing about how the Secret Service you know, vetted her and she got past them to be able to talk to the president. So, so they Tom, could dance to some Katie Tunstall. Uh, Tom Dobbs is having a birthday party. Yeah. She infiltrates it undercover as an FBI agent very unconvincingly. And even though she immediately immediately gets <laughs> clocked by Secret Service, Robin Williams is like, cool, she seems nice. Let her through. And uh, at this point, she tries her absolute best to tell him what is going on, but because of plot, we, He's we don't such quite a good find time. out. She can't that. ruin his night like this. Right. They, they go paintballing. They well, have no, the, movie, the, movie's, the movie's got another like 45 minutes to fill out, so right. we can't catch up the gun. Just yeah. that out. So say, yeah. there's more plot that needs to happen. And in terms of that plot, the next thing that happens is uh, she goes back to the hotel. She calls her boyfriend slash co-worker. I don't know. Danny. Uh, yes. Who who the company is trying to pay off to go to Ireland. And she also stays in a motel <laughs> called the Emerald Isle Motel. And I don't <laughs> get it. I don't understand what's being referenced. Listen, here. It's the, the Irish Hibernian conspiracy. <laughs> the, the Irish. We lore all know what's happening here. It's really, really important. <laughs> so I don't know. Some fucking some more fucking bullshit happens. But. Bottom line, she keeps running simulations because she still has access to this cloud-based voting database for some reason. Yeah, she's not running simulations on like a, a locally downloaded. No, build. she's running she's them on working actual through data the sets. system. And they didn't no, deny her access for some reason. And no matter what, <laughs> she keeps discovering that no matter what, Dobbs wins. And the reason, I guess, is that he has two sequential letter B's yeah, in his so, name. So the, the yeah. glitch comes from the fact that it's counting double letters in alphabetical order and somehow that is causing certain votes to redirect with prioritizing the highest double letters now, on the alphabetical th- th- this scale. Is, this is another, by the way, this is another reason why like the film 
like just nothing about it works and why it again <laughs> contends to have a lot on its mind and actually has nothing on its mind because if right. you were going to execute this plot and this subplot in an interesting way like the glitch wouldn't just be some random thing that like like also no no company even like a malicious silicon valley giant would design a program that bad and sell it to the federal government that would never happen so it's like yeah. if the, if this was if if there was something interesting going on here there would be some politics to the glitch it would be like right. you know yeah. like i don't know what it would be but it would you know it, it would it would weight the votes of certain people more than others or it would you yeah, know there'd be like, some right. point like, like that. let's say for instance that you know there was like an iowa caucus where there were a few different candidates and maybe one of them had better mm. connections to the companies who were programming the software that you know <laughs> counted the votes for the iowa caucus i'm not saying it <laughs> did well, happen i'm just saying and an what, if company, what if the company running that brand new caucus app that no one knew how to use had a very <laughs> creepy weird name <laughs> hmm, i don't know well look okay so all of that that plot stuff would actually be able to make sense if Dobbs were a corrupt like dude but mm. because it's Robin Williams he has to be a saint so the right. actual whole movie falls apart because it's only interesting <laughs> if Dobbs gets power hungry and is like I deserve the presidency it's like, like yeah. the election's not rigged it's just an accident that it, it's like, it, it doesn't it's make a any sense it's a tabulation <laughs> error a and I, I, think that, I think there is an interesting movie that could be made about like someone getting elected president by a series of accidents like that just to like if, if the comment is just about how stupid and arbitrary right. all of this ends up becoming but then he also again he can't be a saint he has to be this idiot asshole and they, they try to like the one time they start to veer into like actual cultural political commentary is the like one scene with Jeff Goldblum where he's like the, the illusion of legitimacy is more important than legitimacy itself and it's like okay we made our point right. it's it. all Here's done the in romantic shadow like their faces yeah. are completely like <laughs> it's total noir. It's very. Bad. I think I, I think also that the the whole thing about um, potentially having a point of well, no matter what, these systems are bullshit and arbitrary on some level. Barry Levinson would never make a point like that because he is so enamored with these institutions, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he 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 cares about them deeply, and to make any sort of a claim like at the end of the day, this is all just kind of bullshit that we go along with no matter what. It seems like it's going in that direction, but it's not. What, nope. what, what ends up happening next is, oh, God, just we're at a Thanksgiving party. <laughs> Laura Linney pulls Robin Williams away from the table and it's like, oh, I'm you're not the president because of the voting system and you got to know And she leaves and just oh even God. though like like she doesn't know what the actual count is right she just knows it's a glitched count yeah well, we never we never find out right it's like how many votes no. and the and we the don't actually know in, in the final sort of you know soliloquy he gives on snl which is like you know as we all know is where <laughs> yeah. all the important oh. stuff happens yeah yeah like you know like he says something about like oh i know some of you did vote for me and there's like some applause he's like well thanks for that and it's like okay how many people actually voted for this like charlatan comedian to be president? Because like, yeah, probably it can have been more than like, I don't know how many, like a million ironic voters. How many like voters do we think like would vote ironically for this guy? Unless I misunderstood. One of the big things was that he wasn't on the ballot in every state. Yeah, right. there were five states he was not on the ballot for. And he happened to win every single state that he was on the ballot for. I yes. think. Yes. And it it's was like, also it's like, it's like a Reagan style landslide. But then also, <laughs> yeah. but also really no one voted for him, which like I think people would notice that whatever the voting machines. Well, I, I thought you're the only person right. who knows. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I thought the idea of that was supposed to be that, yeah, actually, probably a lot of people voted for him, but it, it could not have been stacked in his favor because he was off the ballot in major states. But right. that, who knows? Yeah, well, <laughs> who I mean, knows? It, it, when we're tracking it on the actual election night, there is like he's behind in the exit polls at the beginning of the night. But as it goes mm -hmm. along, he starts winning more and more and more. Well, it's the exit polls that are behind and the exit polls are carried out by independent uh, media pollsters who are standing outside of the polls and polling people as they leave. The glitch the is dumb. So that is not done by the system. To, yeah. But also if the exit polls didn't line up at all with what came out in the final tally, people would this would yeah. raise red flags. But I'm just saying. Is the I only know. one who's concerned about this. We've, we've had some issues with, with vote counts not really matching the exit polls and nothing happens. It I turns love living out. in a functional democracy, don't you? Yeah. So Robin Williams decides that he is going to go public. He's going to take the information about these fucking voting machines, yeah. go public, let everybody know, uh-oh, the count actually was wrong. And the evil Jeff Goldblum, who is uh, the CEO, assistant to the CEO. He's the, he's the lead. He's the legal counsel. He's the lead he's the legal, legal counsel. counsel. Here's, here's, a, here's another question. Why didn't they just spiritual make Jeff advisor. Goldblum the CEO? Like, why does, yeah. where are the two characters? <laughs> Who's the other so guy? Much character yeah. Who cares? <laughs> oh my God. But Jeff Goldblum then decides to basically, um, sick the full force of the company. Why didn't uh, they just kill her at the beginning? They had a guy go into her house <laughs> and inject her with every drug known to man. Just kill her. Yeah, well, inject her with enough drugs to kill her. Exactly. But no, um, that would be a problem. I don't fucking Especially know, Especially for man. someone who doesn't take drugs, who is afraid of NyQuil. We uh, end up in somehow a, survives this nuclear bomb of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> we end up in a race condition, basically, where one or the other of them is going to get the release out first. It ends up being Jeff Goldblum. They yeah. get out ahead of the story by being like, actually, this woman was, you know, on drugs. She was crazy and um, cool. Uh, and, that, and that she but they, they come out with this thing that should have more impact because they say that she worked to rig the election in favor of Dobbs. Right. And then they're like, but we fixed it. <laughs> before uh, and that there, happened. And, and there were no irregularities at all. Our, our the election that, are in, in, in this election that he won. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> help me make sense of this. Somebody help me make sense of any of this. Luke, can you help me make sense of any of this? No, is the answer. But I mean, uh, yeah. but I mean, I mean, look, I mean, I think, you know, we've gone through enough of the film that I'll tell you guys what my like ultimate thesis on the whole thing is, which no, is please. That, like, yeah. which, like, which is like, you know, this is this is a film that wants to be, you know, a, a comedy about, you know, what what if John Stewart got elected president? Okay, it wants right. to be an Alfred Hitchcock thriller. It wants to be kind of like The West Wing, and it wants to be like an earnest romance, and it wants to make the point, undercutting a bunch of the others, that actually, well, no, a comedian shouldn't be president because the jester shouldn't rule the kingdom. And right. like the irony mm -hmm. of all that is that Robin Williams's whole political shtick throughout this movie is that like politicians are just too damned inauthentic. Like they try to be all things to all people and blah, blah, blah. This movie is trying to be all things to all people. It is trying yeah. to capture every market niche, just like, you know, uh, over-professionalized, over-scripted centrist politicians do. And as a result, it ends up being a, like appealing to to nobody. It is the Hillary Clinton of political movies. It is terrible. <laughs> I can't stress enough how much of this movie feels like filler. There's a 
paintball meet cute section where Robin Williams <laughs> pulls up to Laura Linney's Emerald Isle motel room uh, and that limo is playing bow diddy bow diddy bang diddy dang diggy diggy which is like the, the song of I think the late 90s like it, it does feel incredibly out of place in 2006 and then they just go paintballing but it's in the woods and it lasts maybe three seconds before so Laura Linney's like I have to tell you something and he's like what do you have to tell me and she's just uh, I you know I really wanted to see you haha and she says oh you you really wanted to see me and completely forgets about the life and death stakes of she's being pursued by a company that wants her dead because she got like you know the beautiful eyes of Robin Williams like cutting through to her well, very soul right, it's because she's a woman AJ like <laughs> There is, there, is like a, there is like a low-key sexism to this movie. Like, did you guys oh, know yeah. how, many of, how many of Robin Williams is like his 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 riffs are sort of like weird, like horny or thirsty things? Yeah. Like he has that riff <laughs> about like how he wants to appoint like lesbians to cabinet. It's like, yeah. oh, they, they wouldn't get a lot done, but uh, oh, the downloads would be amazing. And oh, and we get to think about what they're doing in the cabinet room or, or something. Like, 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 doors. Oh. There's tons of jokes like that, you know? <laughs> Yep. Why are you doing the Mickey Mouse laugh, AJ? Is that, is that I don't know. It's all I don't have a Robin Williams, so <laughs> but, but I don't again, it's like what what were they trying to even what, what was Barry trying to accomplish through this? Because I feel like on some level, these are the best jokes that he knows how to tell. Right. That's got to yeah. be part of it. Well, the closest it comes to like a thesis, you know, beyond Jeff Goldblum's thing, which is just its own thing, uh, is when they have Lewis Black. Yeah, we should talk about Lewis in Black the situation monologue. room. Yeah. And he, he says, you know, the, the problem is television. Right. The problem is that when you watch a cable news show, they have on one side of the screen a guy who knows everything about the Holocaust, who's written, you know, who's worked on the documentation, who's written books of history. And on the other side, you have a guy who thinks the Holocaust isn't real and they're on the same plane. That is the problem with with TV news specifically. Meanwhile, Laura Linney is trying to put a dollar in a vending machine. Right. <laughs> And you well, know what? That, her and, want and, of cold drinks really saves her. <laughs> and, you know, it's like that kind of thing, too. Again, this is a movie that I think, Clay, you know, purports to have this very transgressive premise. And it's like it's like the most garden variety point about like, oh, our politics used to be smarter and now they're dumb because we're putting like like we just need to listen to the experts and blah, blah, blah. It's like it's just that's just like straight up like liberal smugness like that's not an right. interesting it, point it's it, like it's, oh it people, is tv yeah. is dumbing us down because we're you know it's like it's it's so stupid it, it is interesting to see this you know this is the moment where still everyone's just emailing i guess um they yeah, have 16 million of them <laughs> yeah so they haven't gotten to the internet thing and it's funny to see some of the things that they're saying about tv here just get completely repackaged for the internet as though the internet had no precedent. Yeah. As though it was a yeah. brand new thing when social media really started to pick up and get politics involved in it. it. It also makes me wonder, and I didn't look into this, but to the point of like how it feels a bit anachronistic, like to me, this movie felt like it was in the late 90s. Yeah. yeah even yeah. though it was yeah. the mid 2000s. I wonder how if this script was written earlier, because do you think the 90s had the same sort of anxiety around voting machines? Because I feel like that, yeah. that of course, but I mean, the, the basic premise could still be something that Barry Levinson had in the no, 90s. No, and I, he was like, oh, I should add a voting machine thing now after 2000. <laughs> I, I agree and with 2004. that. I think the script could have been written in the 90s and then they just shoehorned a bunch of stuff 
stuff in to make it topical. Like they're like, oh, put right. a line in about <laughs> hanging chads or whatever. Like right, yeah, came right, up right. earlier, but there. But I mean, that John Stewart film, Irresistible, which came out in what the summer yeah. of 2020. That movie. I mean, there's no way that that movie wasn't a script that he made. You know, wrote in 2009 or something. Right. Because right. It's got references that are supposed to kind of bring it up to date to make you know make it like a 2020 movie. But then also there's stuff like oh, uh, you know, uh, someone gave a speech and it set the net roots on fire, and it's like okay, mm-hmm. yeah. this is not the mid 2000s anymore. Why is this in the movie? Uh, I Come think on. Net forums are exploding. <laughs> You're not getting all your latest information from Daily Coast, Luke? Come on. <laughs> like, the, the idea that this movie has is that politics was actually the realm of smart people and mm-hmm. good things until Nixon made the did the checkers speech on TV in California. And then everything went downhill. Everything got stupid just because of of the televised medium. But it also offers this kind of this other point in, in that there is comedy. Anyway, Laura Linney is still trying to put a dollar in that vending machine. I just wanted to say, like, I th- it's interesting, like, that there's this anxiety about technology that runs through the film. Uh, because, I mean, when, when you think about it, it's an anxiety that goes back to the very beginning, like to the beginnings of mass media. And like probably like I don't know this, but I bet you if you go back to the 19th century, there are versions of it mm. in relation to like newspapers. And then probably before oh, that, sure. 100 like, percent yeah. printing press. It's like, right. You know, there's that famous thing about how, uh, you know, uh, the Kennedy Nixon debate. Right. People who watched it on right. TV thought the Kennedy won and people that listened to it thought that Nixon won, which was right. sort of supposed to be like, well, and, the, you know, the radio, the takeaway there is like the radio radio is 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 superior because it's like more direct and less superficial it doesn't you know yeah. vulgarize and trivialize mm-hmm. politics you can go further back and i mean it didn't it didn't really happen in the way it's often remembered but there was a whole thing about you know orson welles and the war of the worlds broadcast um right, and how right. it like drove the whole east coast insane which like the, the right. historical record doesn't bear that out. It's apocryphal. But the fact that people right. think that happens uh, happened is a is a testament to like how anxious like all of us really are. I think about like the power of these, uh, you know, technologies to actually alter outcomes and like affect the real world. Like it's it's our it's our persistent fear of the medium actually becoming the message, uh, which, you know, you would think would give it a lot of like uh, fertile ground for a film like this to say something interesting. But, yeah, you know, but perhaps that's too much to ask. Uh, I've, I'm checking in on Laura Linney. She's still trying to put that dollar in the vending machine. Yeah, she's having um, a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow it's hard, the guy guys. The... Have you used a bill acceptor? This is <laughs> yeah. why this is this is why you got it right in Canada, Luke. You have fucking loonies and toonies. It's much easier. Well, again, further to the film's thesis, you know, back in back in the day, there used to be coins. There's yeah. something pure about the coin. It can't be corrupted. Now we yeah. have all these all these machines and they're complicating. <laughs> can't even get a Kit Kat bar anymore. No. Right. Yeah. It's, it's it, this, this movie is actually just a much more subtle. It, this is like if defense from falling down got to direct a movie and he's like, the Coke cans aren't a nickel anymore. Like, <laughs> so but, uh, she, she, she goes into the, the hotel manager's office. Yeah, even though she's just been paying cash, somehow mm. this guy knows who she is. I don't th- like, okay, sure, fine. Green from the TV. <laughs> In the most and, like creepy Hitchcockian performance, I think, of this whole movie is this fucking hotel guy. And she goes guy. to her room and, oh, it's being infiltrated by, I don't know, Blackwater mercenaries working yeah. for the, the electronic voting company. Who don't she notice sees, when she pushes the door open? Yeah, she sees that they're... Looking at her computer, Eric they are Prince, in her room. Eric Prince personally is looking at her computer. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she just drives away. Yeah, she gets out of she there. She doesn't, she has a cell phone. She does not call the police. 
she does not call Robin Williams yet. She goes all the way to the mall first. Yeah, she zips off to call in her, Robin Williams. In her blue PT cruiser, <laughs> which return to tradition. That's what oh, I yeah, said. They paid handsomely for this product placement. <laughs> they sure did. It's a big but Robin like, Williams picture. Why, why didn't Why didn't she? She could. They weren't the police. It's not like the police are after her and she has nowhere to run. These are guys. These are just fucking guys that broke into her room. And it also she cuts can, to them reporting to Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff yeah, Goldblum right. screams the line, "I want constant updates." <laughs> Which I just imagine he just stays on the phone with them. He's like, "How about now? Now? Now?" How about now? She goes it, to the mall and they try to do another like haha topical joke. Yeah, I guess. the fucking thing with the phone chargers. Because yeah, her her oh phone battery God. dies. Oh, these she goes on over to this 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 twenty year old at the fucking counter and is like, "Do you have a charger?" She's like, "No." How old is that? She's like, "It's a year old." She's like, "Wow, you should get a newer phone, bitch." Like, wow, your James Carville is really coming along. <laughs> really shining this episode, Brian. Yeah, I mean, it is something. That's a little bit real because back then every phone had its own fucking port for a charger. Also, this is just really stupid. Why did her battery die? That doesn't it doesn't matter. Well, no. th- none of the, this is so stupid. To this film's credit, they do actually succeed in pulling off one callback, which is at the beginning, Robin Williams says, uh, you know, all your devices are going to be talking to each other. You know, the GPS is tracking you. It knows where you are. And like one of his like riffs at the beginning. And then it turns out at the end, Laura Linney is being tracked through her mm. GPS system. Uh. And it's, it's the amazing, one they do. It's amazing that, that what this movie is actually about. I mean, I feel like we've actually uncovered, like we've revealed what this Ooh. movie actually is, which is just yeah. like, it's just a movie about like machines are bad. Like vending, we right. you can't, can't trust the voting machines. You can't trust the cell phones. <laughs> you can't trust the GPS and you can't, you can't trust, trust phone booths. You can't even trust the machine. You know, you you trust that machine where you're getting your Lay's chips every day, but forget about it. A simple vending machine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) As she continues to get tailed by these goons, uh, Eleanor then calls Dobbs and says, "I'm, I'm being hunted. Something's going on. Because of this stupid thing about her maybe having a drug addiction, he doesn't fully take her seriously here. Um, and right, so like they, they never actually credibly uh, get rid of this idea that she is crazy and or on drugs. Right. He just, I don't know, he trusts, trusts her. his gut. Because he's horny. Because yeah. he's very, whole, very horny. Yeah. 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 And they even, they even mention yeah. that. Yeah. They <laughs> even are like, <laughs> For two Lewis seconds. Black is like, you just want to get your dick wet. Again. I don't even think phone booths existed by, 20, by yeah, 2006. They did. Yeah, they did. I, pho- pay phones, yes, but phone booths that you like, I don't think I ever saw one a day in my entire life. Well, she's this in a the phone scene booth. I remember. Yeah, this is the one scene I remember from this movie. <laughs> well, yeah. she's in a phone booth making a call. And again, because she's being tailed, there's this big ass fucking like, I don't know, GMC pickup or something like yeah. that that just drives straight into the phone booth. Yes. And uh, not after she Williams tells her to get to a an airport hangar yeah. and she screams, I don't know how to get to an airport. <laughs> <laughs> but again, this movie's so weird about like time and place and everything. Right. Thing, mostly because uh, probably in part because it's shot in Canada. Oh. That like. <laughs> Well, it's funny you should say that because the number of locations that I recognize, like, okay, for, for example, oh, really? no, oh, yeah? but seriously, so the main shooting locations are Hamilton, Ontario, where I went to oh, high okay. school, and Toronto, oh. where I've lived for the last, I don't know, 14 mm-hmm. years or something. So, like, there's a scene early on where there's, like, a, a establishing shot of a building or something, and it's, like, Robin Williams speaking at a g- gymnasium. I swear to God, that is, like, a five-minute walk for where I'm, from where I'm recording from Oh, right that's now. so funny. Oh, wow. I, I have to say, it's been really something in the last few 
few years to see a bunch of things that would have otherwise been, you know, Toronto playing a U.S. city. They're now making it Albuquerque. Oh, weird. Where Albuquerque has to fill in for everything else. I was just just <laughs> looking out the window, like across my balcony, and I swear to God, I can quite literally see one of the other buildings that was in this movie. It's like that's awesome. University oh, wow. College, where I where I went to school, like uh, is it, like I can see it from my balcony. And yeah, it's it's literally in this movie. Is Barry Lewis. Levinson in one of the windows just waving at you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're talking about my movie. <laughs> so uh He's wearing the outfit from Toys. <laughs> the purple derby hat. <laughs> so after um Eleanor's phone booth gets rammed by the truck. She Which also, re- when she was talking, she sounds like she's crazy, right? She yes. keeps just saying stuff like, I figured it all out. It's the double right. letters. I figured it all out. Right. Which seems like the movie is trying to direct you into thinking Robin Williams is going to be like, oh, yeah, she's actually crazy. Right. Right. Uh, but no. But no. She, no. It, what, the, her, her injury is reported on the news, which is also how he <laughs> learns about it, I guess. And so he immediately then has his entire motorcade yeah. drive over there so that he oh, can... also he was just hanging out with the president. He he saw oh, yeah. the Oval Office for That's the right. first time. He had the meeting where they tell him the aliens are real. Right. Um, yep. Yep. They, he, he he moves the entire motorcade to go to Laura Linney, uh, despite Lewis Black's objections that we got to get to SNL. <laughs> so then Robin Williams gets into the back of the ambulance with Laura Linney. And this is a uh, and she uh, still th- sounds crazy now she's just rambling double b double l oh, double but, b double but wasn't l. this just such a a beautiful heart-wrenching scene didn't give you all the feels didn't make you feel so uh uh, make you ponder the, the finiteness and the, and the fragility yes, of life. because I kept thinking I'm still aging as this is going on. <laughs> I, I am say, one yeah. day closer to death. Made me think, God damn, I want to fucking kill myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Linney, Laura Linney is, is saying the double, the double P, the double L with like just such earnestness that yeah. like she is trying so hard to elevate this script and it's oh just, my God, you it's can't incredible. do it. You just can't do it. It's, it's garbage. This is actually going to be be the last we see of Laura Linney. Why don't we just take a moment here to briefly talk about in our memoriam, thoughts on the, I mean, in the memoriam, Linney, rest in peace, Laura Linney. In the um, arms of the angels. Much like AJ, she is dead. Um, I can see the sky for forever. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel bad for her because, like, she she exists she exists as part of a subplot that rightly shouldn't exist. This whole movie right. was sold to people as like, hey, what if John Stewart ran for president? And then and then actually it's like trying to be a romantic comedy and also it's about how like the machines are destroying democracy or something like yeah I just feel bad for her like she like she shouldn't be in this movie I mean like there's no arc for her to have there's her like she discovers a problem and then waits to tell anyone well waits to tell the person in 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 question about it because she's she she just she's just a woman she just can't get over her emotions on seeing Robin Williams for the first time in her entire existence too is defined by the men around her like yeah, even yeah. down to the fact that her fucking coworker slash boyfriend question mark. I is thought he was her son, son? For, a, for a large part of this movie. It's not. He's it's a not. very youthful face, uh, but he's but but they're like sitting watching TV together at night and he does look young ish. So I thought maybe this was like, a, oh, a younger brother or like a son kind of scenario. But I think they're just buds. 
Okay. I mean, look, they could have thrown... He's in Ireland now, I guess. Who cares? They could have had at least one other named female character and had the two of them work together. I don't fuck it. Like, uh, uh, he does have two two women working on his staff who are yeah, mostly what are their just names? names. What are their <laughs> names? No, no. The, the, their, their job is to look at, look at the news report of Laura Linney uh, getting right. in that accident going, oh, no. And then this just cuts away from them entirely. And to, and to laugh at Robin Williams' really good jokes. That, that, that's something actually that I want to mention real quick. I found it really uncanny how mm. there would be a joke that really wasn't even a joke, didn't even really rise to the level of the joke, and you would just get this uproarious laughter. Yeah. Over and over and well, over and again. There's something really interesting about that. Like when you watch a comedy, people don't laugh in it, right? Right. Like there's mm. something weird about that effect. And, and this actually bridges us very well to SNL because it's the yeah. perfect example of that because most of the SNL scene is shot facing the audience mm-hmm. and they're all losing their shit every time Robin Williams just does a little. Hey, hey. Uh, and that's it. Like he doesn't even make the joke, but everyone's loving it. They're just having so much fun, which makes it less funny to you, the viewer, right? right? Because you don't feel the audience is laughing alongside you like you would with the sitcom or an an episode of SNL. You're feeling like the joke is for the benefit of another character. Yeah. Well, it's because it does seem like most of Robin Williams' scenes were completely improvised. Like it does the the way everyone's laughing in the room and riffing with him does Mm. feel like kind of like an improv hangout more than. Which which was very scene. true of uh, Good Morning Vietnam and Toys and all the other stuff that Barry Levinson does with Robin Williams. Right. It, so he goes on SNL. It's this big thing. He comes at, you know, it's like, oh, here's our, you know, the, the usual SNL thing. This is the Amy Poehler, Tina Fey era. He's on Weekend Update. He, you know, he's just there to to do some bits and then to also, like, disavow that he ever knew Laura Linney. They've, they've which set is up a, a weird whole, place to do that. I, but they, yeah. I, they've set up a whole series of cue cards for him in this Weekend Update bit that he can then use to uh, dissociate himself from Laura Linney. And, and Luke, I'm curious to hear sort of your thoughts on the way that this scene is structured, is set up, and then the way that it plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think it reflects, like, you know, something we've talked about already, which is that, you know, the people behind this movie think that, like, speeches on TV are where, like, that's where the real shit happens. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's the yeah, that's yeah. the motor of, of politics. That's the motor of, of of history. But I something I really like, I mean, just, you know, in, in a final, like, act of indignity undercutting, you know, its own premises, this movie is constantly, <laughs> you know, as was just said, it's constantly cutting to people, like, people in the audience. Lots of shots throughout the movie of people at home, like, watching him on TV do his riffs, and they, they can't get enough of it. They're laughing. And it's like, it seems like it's trying to celebrate the fact that like, oh, you know, comedians is where we get the news now. These people are more authentic than the politicians. And then the whole point of this final scene is is you know contained within that line where he's like oh you know I was sitting in the in the Oval Office and I did a little reality check and and I realized the jester shouldn't rule the kingdom you know my job is yeah. to prod the politicians and you know but we're yeah. we're not we're not there to rule and then in the end at the end when you know it goes back to you know it turns out the whole movie's just been uh, all in Christopher Walken's like head during this uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what if um, none of this happened what if it was entirely his creation the movie is actually about one man's mental illness. <laughs> I mean, that would honestly make it make a lot more sense. But, but keep but going. Luke. Christopher, yeah. Christopher Walken says, you know, uh, and and, uh, you know, the president did get reelected. And you know what? He was he was better. Not not great, but yeah. better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I think like, it was because yeah. not even. Yeah. Like not even good. He just like made some slight incremental changes, which is what the American dream is really about. Right. So the whole movie is kind of like, oh, we're getting our news from Bill Maher and and and, you know, uh, John Stewart 
Stewart and and uh, Robin Williams. Uh, and then it's like, oh yeah, but actually no, uh, you know, comedians they have a place and it's like very small. Yeah. And, like literally the best they could, the most they could do is one could accidentally get elected president and make like a Democrat govern like very slightly better in a way right. that's like vague, yeah. like too vague to even define and is that's debated, all we can really debatable. hope for. Yeah. Well, and that initial thing that you were saying about SNL too, it's like. Yeah, it seems like the thesis of this movie is the problem with media today is they're doing the Lewis Black thing. They're putting two people on the same level who do not have the same credibility because they have no perspective. But comedy is our way forward because comedy has perspective. Mm. And mm. that's what's going to to guide us. They shouldn't be leaders, but they should replace the media, maybe. Yeah. And again, it would be interesting if, if Robin Williams learned something about like like he starts to see himself become a monster or he yeah. starts to see the kind of like horrible things he'll have to do and he can't do that. But right. no, he just stands in the Oval Office and just feels the crushing weight of it. But that's and that's, that's too much. The thing about that, though, is I think it speaks to, again, the perspective of a guy like Barry Levinson about what the office means, yeah. you know, th this idea mm. that and I was I was after I watched the movie, I was kind of taking some notes and trying to put my thoughts together about this. There is this respect for the office that existed up until Donald Trump became president that will never exist anymore. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. even even among like people who previously believed in the sanctity of the fucking office or whatever, the election of Donald Trump completely disabused us of this idea that the presidency of the United States is in some way, shape or form uh, above or removed from the scum and villainy that permeates the, the Vox yeah, Populi. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And this to me is one of the key themes of this film as well. Which is that if you want to talk about the presidency of the United States, which is this great, glorious, beautiful, shining thing, you cannot pollute it with uh, the sort of vulgarity and so forth that somebody like Robin Williams character brings to the table, because that's another piece of Williams's character that we sort of mentioned. He's a very vulgar guy. A lot of his riffs, a lot of his jokes are crass and crude. And there is, I think we see by the end of this, the sense that if this were to come up to the presidency, well, that, that just that wouldn't be good for the country, you know, man. Yeah. And how uncomfortable he is sitting behind the, the resolute desk or whatever mm -hmm. and how it's just like, wow, uh, this is much bigger than I thought it would be. Uh -huh. And uh, <laughs> here's the thing about Robin Williams in this movie. And it's something that happens with a lot, I think, of big stars. Uh, Will Smith, it certainly happened with as well, where you get to a point of fame and time in your career where you don't want to play characters with flaws anymore because people are going yeah. to see your persona on screen. Mm. And if your persona is mm. bad, then they, everyone will be like, well, that means Robin Williams is also bad. Uh, hmm. And it, the same thing happened with Will Smith in Seven Pounds, which I think rhymes with this movie in a lot of ways because it's trying to be a romantic comedy and also like a really <laughs> gut wrenching drama about a man who dies by jellyfish. <laughs> uh, a guy who commits suicide by jellyfish in a bathtub. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> in order in order to sell his organs. And I just I, I long for the movie that could have been where where he could have been a little bit more despicable. Like there could have been like a a moment where he's actually tempted to like take the power well AJ I have some great news for you mm. I know that we're all we're not all hot on on Ilya Kazan and and his life or his choices but no. he actually made a, a fantastic movie <laughs> called A Face fine. in the Crowd starring Andy Griffith as a folk singer 
who realizes that he can tap into the politics of the day and get a lot of attention and, and then starts to run for office. And it, it does so by being very specific, and it does so with a fucking terrifying performance by Andy Griffith, of all fucking people. Interesting. Playing against um, type? Playing very much against type, yeah. I mean, he's wow. this is... This is Andy Griffith doing an Elia Kazan movie, right? It's interesting. Like, it's it's interesting in how it, it how it predicts sort of a, a figure like Trump in a very realistic way up until the end, because what ends up happening is he gets recorded talking in private about what he thinks about the people he appeals to, and that tanks him. That sure. destroys his his momentum. Right. Where with Donald Trump, he just goes out there and he's like, "You're all pigs." <laughs> <laughs> You're disgusting people. You you love it when I do this, don't you? You love it. And they're like, yes. Yes, we do. Fuck it. The way this movie ends is very, you know, the exact same thing applies that I said about, like, the voting machines plot, where it's like, with the voting yeah. machines plot, there's no politics to the glitch. It's totally arbitrary. It's just a random yeah. glitch that doesn't make any sense. Similarly, like, you know, the movie, uh, you know, has this, like, supposedly bold premise, and then we don't actually get to see Robin Williams be president. Like, if this film actually yeah. worked and if yeah. it had the courage to even try to execute uh its own mission it wouldn't like take place in like i don't know the span of a few days after like a comedian like doesn't actually win an election it's like he would win <laughs> the election and then we would actually yes yeah, see right. him you know be in office and then the film would actually about like okay well what what happens then and then like as one of you was saying then it would be about like uh, okay, well, what's like, what's his flaw? You know, what, like, right. what, what stops him? Like, what stops this from working? You know, and then the point yeah. the film would be making might be good. It might be bad. It'd probably, probably the latter, but at least there'd be something. It would, it would be saying something. This film is saying nothing at all. With the American electoral system, if the vote is completely illegitimate, we, we don't, we don't have anything in place for that. Like we theoretically do with the electoral college. Uh, but you can see how that goes. Every time, every, you know, someone's just going to write in uh, fucking Patricia McCloskey instead of Donald Trump or whatever. Again, this, like the West Wing, this exists in a fantasy world Yep. or like toys. It's this whimsical fantasy world about things that you don't really need to think too much about the process. It's just the vote was wrong and then we fixed it right. because we said it was wrong and because one man said it was wrong. And, and like the Democratic and Republican establishment would just let an independent win. Do you know what I mean? Like they would, <laughs> yeah. they would make no effort for any recounts or investigating yeah, the vote. They'd just be like, "Well, fair's fair. I guess you won." So the thing that I sort of wanted to conclude on here, in terms of how we can then take what we've heard and talked about about this fucking movie, and see what it says about maybe where we're going, uh, is mm. something that I found when I was searching for stuff about Barry Levinson. And in August 2020. He wrote an op-ed along with David Smick, and uh, the two of them were put together a movie called Stars and Strife. And no, uh, oh, no, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> those, no. those are those of our listeners who uh, also listen to Trapo Trap House might remember that when that movie came out, those guys did a really great recap of the film and its anti-politics. So. If that is at all of interest to you, would definitely recommend going and checking out that episode. Stars um, and Strife. But yeah, the movie's called Stars and, Stri Christ. Stars and Strife. This was uh, written by a guy named David Smick, who also wrote a book called The World is Curved. <laughs> and uh, this was, of course, then produced, EP'd by Barry Levinson. So in this op-ed 
from USA Today. I want to read just a little bit of this that I think encapsulates the worldview that guys like Barry Levinson have. I think even though this is more recent, it also dovetails nicely with the anti-politics of Man of the Year and really helps us understand what the actual undergirding message is here, the thing they're really trying to propagandize for underneath the spectacle. So America is in crisis, and it's not just from the coronavirus that is plaguing our communities. We are in the midst of an epidemic of hatred that has left most of us feeling hopeless and exhausted. There are social, cultural, and racial explanations for our predicament, but evidence suggests that a feeling of economic humiliation, which manifests as fear and a politics devoid of empathy, is at the core of our divisions. So then they oh, pitch no, the, the divisions, not I, the divisions. You hate to see the divisions. So they go on uh. to fucking pitch the documentary, talk about growing up in working class neighborhoods in Baltimore and how all that shit was. Uh, but just to fast forward here then to sort of the conclusion. <clears throat> Main Street capitalism would remove entrenched advantages for special interests and empower wage oh earners. Oh my God. Yeah. I, see you, I see you nodding, Luke. I, you, you understand this common sense I, intuition. I, I've the seen, local I've, small business owners. I have actually seen this movie, believe it or it, not. Oh my God! Oh, um, <laughs> it would it would eliminate corporate tax carveouts and rules that stifle competition. It would also eliminate racist barriers to capital and wealth creation. An inclusive entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit is at the beating heart of Main Street capitalism. Business startups are the economy's great equalizer. Women have started firms at twice the rate of men in recent years, and their empowering is transforming the economy. Immigrants account for one quarter of all American entrepreneurs. The solution to our economic and political malaise is not tossing capitalism aside, it is to rediscover a Main Street capitalism that leverages the best parts of our economy to make the American dream possible for average working families. Both of our political parties need to stop the food fight and work to break the cycle the of disillusionment food that fight. crushes the spirit of so many Americans. We must stop so, the so, Charlie Sheen vehicle so food this, fight. This, this is more recent. This op-ed was, you know, references the coronavirus. Was right. this written in 2020? This is August 2020. So, so the big problem facing America right now it will be easily solved by opening all the businesses on Main Street exactly. in August of 2020. Exactly, Brian. That's exactly right. <laughs> if, I, if I'm if i remembering rightly, now there were two films. There's also one called uh, The Reunited States, which is basically Ooh, the same movie no. as this. That's awesome. I think Stars and Strife is the one where their big, their big idea, like the thing that's going to make, uh, ma uh, what do they call it, Main Street capitalism happen is I think I th I'm, unless I'm unless I'm misremembering, this is the film where the pitch is everybody begins life uh, with twenty thousand dollars, every American. But it's not a mm. grant; it's a loan. So oh, good. You're, good. You're born into this world, and you owe the federal government twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> and they, and and I don't think they call it a freedom dividend, but like they may as well. Like it's basically oh my god, so good. Like, and so so you're right to bring is this. It, up. Is it at least tax advantaged? I hope that it's tax advantaged <laughs> and gives me like a special savings I account. I can put it into three separate tax yeah. deferred savings accounts. Yeah. Of some I don't sort. even remember if it's interest free. Like it might not be, but, but like, oh god! But, but so like, <laughs> but so like, this is. I'm glad you Put brought this up. Put babies in the Squid Game. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you're right to bring this up in relation to Man of the Year because this is exactly yeah. the politics that I was talking about before. This is radical yeah. centrism, right? It's like yeah. you start with th this thing that this kind of story about American politics that sounds very radical. It sounds kind of anti-establishment. You know, it might even make reference to like, oh, like there's political corruption and the parties are bought and sold. There's big business, yada yada. Uh, and then the pitch is just always like uh, operating on the same wavelength as like mainstream uh, politics and culture does right. already. It's exactly what Andrew Yang's like forward party is, right? Like, um, 
I don't have them in front of me, but he when when he, uh, you know, pitched the forward party, which, you know, seems like it's kind of just like a marketing campaign for his book, to be honest. He, he mm-hmm. released these like five, like, you know, uh, the five like foundational, you know, beliefs or whatever of, of the forward party. And I'm pretty sure the only two of them like dealt with specifics at all. It's very much like Robin Williams uh, in the in Man of the Year. It's like one of them had to do with electoral reform. I think the other one was like uh, uh, his basic income idea. And then everything else was just like restore trust in government. Right. Like, like, yeah, all yeah, this, yeah. All this kind of stuff and and get rid of division yeah yeah, (laughs) eliminate eliminate division so it's it's like uh it it, this type of politics always uh begins with this very kind of transgressive premise and then it ends with just like postpartisan platitudes it's like a way of thinking about these problems of like polarization and and like lack of faith in american institutions or whatever as if they're kind of spiritual they're just these sort of diaphanous Mm, things it's just Mm -hmm. it's just in the air and then that's why like in uh in stars and strife like you know, we get the solutions from people like Rahm Emanuel, who's a regular, you know, talking head. Arthur Brooks appears. I think Francis oh, these are Fukuyama real common sense guys. Yeah. Seriously, God. the end of his, Mr. End of History himself. Alan Greenspan is in the movie. Like, it's just Fuck all these. Me. Whoa. It's, seriously, it's just it's like all these people who like if the if these aren't the people uh, if these if, the, if these aren't the people who gave us the system like yeah. that, that you're complaining oh, about, then I don't know who is. Well. <laughs> Whether we're talking about, you know, a shitty fucking attempted comedy (laughs) or a shitty fucking attempted documentary, we have Barry Levinson to thank for both of these things. And, uh, you know, God bless him. Can't wait to see what he does next. And we have Luke to thank (laughs) for bringing us Barry Levinson into our lives. So, Luke, do you have anything that you'd like to to plug at at the end of our time here? Oh, sure. Well, you know, uh, I have a competitor podcast, Michael and Us. Uh, If you like this one, uh, you'll 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 like us. Uh, You can find it. They also talk about adventures and Odyssey. Uh, No, Um, Michael Uh, and Us is a great show for like if you have heard about a a shitty, terrible thing like Stars and Strife, and you're like, I don't want to watch that. Let's see if someone else has talked about it in a way that makes it that makes it tolerable to me Uh, it's perfect it's a perfect podcast for that well cheers yeah so uh patreon.com slash michael and us Uh, i also have a book coming out um you can pre-order it now it's called the dead center uh deals with uh i I suppose uh in a less funny way deals with a lot of the kinds of things (laughs) we uh we we, we've talked about on this uh on this episode so if you pre-order it now from or books uh you can get 15 percent off uh luke i've been you know following your writing for really long time and i think when it comes to sort of the politics of anti-politics as it were you are uh, one of the best writers currently working in the space and uh, the stuff you have to say is really cool so recommend it to all of our listeners as well well that's pretty much it for this episode uh I I never want to watch another Robin Williams movie again. At Whoa! least at least for a bit. Sorry guys. I, I will make you watch toys. That is gonna right, happen on yeah. this show. All right. We well, gotta we gotta talk about toys. We gotta have toy talk. I think what what makes this centrism so interesting is that like it's the most hyper individualized out of all of these projects. The right has has completely abandoned the premise. That, that they're really focusing on the individual, right? Mm-hmm. They are focusing on a larger collective project because they know that the project has to be created by a larger system. And what this centrism shows us is that 
its solution is to buy into the old myth that they kept reading about in books as children, mm -hmm. which is that America and democracy is built on the agency of the individual and the morality of the individual. Mm. And that is the way forward. And that's why there is no such thing as a centrist party in the United States. There mm. is nothing at all that holds any power because an individual can't do it. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. I'm the worst of all possible AJ's. And I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. See you next time. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. All right, folks. First up, I have an announcement. We're going to be talking about this again very soon, but we are going to be at the New York City Pinball Championships on Friday, August 19th of this year, 2022. We're going to be following up on our old emergency episode about Deep Root Pinball, which you should definitely check out if you haven't, and most likely you haven't, because that was a very early episode that we did, and it's a lot of fun. If you are a patron, go over to patreon.com, and in a couple of days, we're going to put up a discount code. Again, that is for patrons only, so if you are interested in going to the New York City Pinball Championships, at a discount, join us over on Patreon. You also get to access our bonus episodes and our premium episodes. How about that? So again, if you want to see us presenting live, following up on the Deep Root story at the New York City Pinball Championships, that date is Friday, August 19th, 2022. Anyway, as always, we are brought to you by our patrons over at Patreon. And they include newcomers such as Mata Mosca, Have You Seen This, Katrina Janssen, Kyle Cassidy, Greenbrier, Sid Miyasaki, Laura, Paul Copeland, and Andrew Hartman. And of course, a special thank you to our $10 patrons who are Hannah White, Rosie Armstrong, Dara Swisher, Alexa Valentine, Nathan Woods, I Hate Brian Alflord, Nikola Donov, Ashley Stoneman, Timmy Sexton, Tony Diddy, Kenneth Brana Montana, Silverbear909, John John Johnson, Katie Wall, and Annette Alford. See you next time.